Begin Podfix Network transmission in 3, 2, 1. Seconds and counting. Astronauts report it feels good. T minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. You're listening to It's Not Rocket Surgery on the 8.9 Northwest SM. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. Reporting the roll and pitch program. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Lulled him into a false sense of uh, no, no, of just waiting for the boot to fall. Audio security. Uh, yes. <laughs> good evening. Here, ninety-eight point nine Northwest FM Science Technology and Geek Culture. It's not rocket surgery, um, but it is all happening. It is all happening. <laughs> it is the twenty-first of January, twenty twenty-four. Happy birthday to Ariana. Happy She's birthday. 20 today. Scary. So, hence why I was a mad rush to get here on, t- on time to start the show at 10.30. Um, Craziness. In, in the studio with me, Vlado, for this crazy ride that will be episode 349 is uh, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good. Yourself? I'm excellent. I'm I'm flustered. You know, I'm used to getting here at least 20 minutes before the show. Not. Nah. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> we started. You on just time. show up, and someone else runs around like a crazy person, <laughs> and the show's ready to go. So, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Still on my break. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're doing well. Two shows in a row. Two. That's right. We haven't done that for a while. I know. We were going to do our predictions show, but Tony has sadly not been available. So we're going to have to call him Mr. Tontine from now on. Indeed. Mm. And sadly, we will both be unavailable yeah, next, right, week, next week. So you're so going to have to wait two weeks. It'll be February, like it was last year, yes. before we do a prediction for so. our prediction show. Which is good, actually, because these days it takes longer and longer for my crystal ball to just settle. You know, it used to be, you know, you shake the magic eight ball and I go, it's not looking good. These days it goes, (laughs) ah. Well, given how you did last week, (laughs) maybe you just got to make it up on the fly anyway. Uh, One of those things where I I do wonder if a change in strategy is appropriate, where instead of uh, picking way, way out predictions, Mm. I just go for things that are almost certain to happen and just you like it's like red, betting on red and black yeah. in roulette. You're just trying to play it. Bet safe. on a favorite. It, yeah. And just see if you can accumulate right. points <laughs> that way. And let everybody else just try it out, you know. Since they can't really drive you uh off of your prediction. Well, so if if you if you bet so let's say difficulty of one. Yeah. It's a, it's a given. So it's two to the power of one times your wager, and you wagered two on everything. Yeah. So you'd be getting four points on everything. Which four, let's four face times it, five is twenty points. Pretty, you would have won. Yeah. So, so maybe that's a more viable strategy. Yeah, of course, that would require me to actually know what the future actually <laughs> is. And and I've been able to mask my complete lack of talent in that regard by yeah. predicting, you know, way, way out predictions. Yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking about my predictions just in case it was uh, going to be a prediction show. Um, and I basically, I thought I was just going to rip 
reproduce, rip <laughs> reproduce what I did this year, last year, and just go for a, a big, big gamble on one of them and and just hope it happens. Well, it paid off with the the, the Oscars. Yeah, well, and I was thinking of doing something similar. Just rebetting on the Oscars again. Yeah, rebet on the Oscars. Just uh, let it roll. I think this time we'll all just go one. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Vlado suggests, but, probability one. But because it's three, you're picking three, it's difficult to predict, pick. Doesn't matter. Remember. Director, <laughs> movie, and, and a supporting or a lead. Noble. Noble, noble, noble. So you're readopting the neg, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm allowed to be negging in neg. uh, the, my, my pr- assessment of the probability. Yeah. Um, just not in my predictions or in my betting against. Against. Fair enough. You know. Um, Yes. So, look, um, we're going to talk about this week. So, I've got a few stories. The big one I saw that we missed last week because of the prediction show sure. was the um, unveiling of the uh, X-59. So, this is NASA's supersonic aircraft, aircraft. to replace... Well, it's not to... Aircraft rep- like the Concorde. It's, yeah. So, basically, they, wanna, they want to, to go <coughs> supersonic flight, but over over... Um, populated areas. The problem with Concorde is it couldn't when fly over populated areas. It had to fly over the sea. Um, and so it was very limiting in, t- in terms of commercial Potential. viability. Um, so basically NASA's and Lockheed Martin have pumped in a whole heap of research into this thing and they've come up with the X-59, which is uh, supposed to make its debut flight later on this year. They haven't actually um, advertised a date, but they did roll it out. They unveiled it. Um, at a I'm big slightly concerned because the last time Lockheed rolled out a supersonic large aircraft, mm. I think, was the Valkyrie. Mm. Okay. And that didn't go so well. <laughs> Remind me what happened to the Valkyrie. Uh, the Valkyrie was basically going to be their supersonic, strate- supersonic strategic bomber. Okay. And... Um, I think it got clipped by one of the uh, planes that was taking photographs. Okay. And, uh, you know, their usual yeah. like, maiden flight type stuff. And I think because it was so expensive, they couldn't afford to build another prototype. Right. And it wasn't so great on the performance side that it, they would go, well, bugger it. Yeah. Let's make one anyway. That is my very, very shallow potted history. I'm sure if anyone who knows anything about this is listening, they're probably okay. screaming at me going, you're all wrong. <laughs> To which I apologise. In the break, I will actually have a look at we're this not, we, and I might correct we are, for the record. We are aerospace engineers. If we wanted aerospace historians, we'd get a, somebody who's we an enthusiast. We would get someone who like, actually knows these We might get JT things. or something. To, maybe actually might be worthwhile getting JT in to talk about the- uh, Because he's all over the X, X uh, aircraft. So I know when he came and visited me in Maryland, he was all buzzed about uh, seeing the uh, the Naval Museum, Air Museum. Yes, that would be very cool. So we'll, we'll see. But- um, uh, so we'll talk about the uh, the X fifty nine Quest um, again. Uh, we'll talk about some. There's been some uh, space news yes. in the last week and a bit. Um, one which sort of follows on from what Tony said about the uh, the failed um, Pegasus mission to the moon. Yeah, the one that was essentially it took uh, too leaking, long and yeah. they ran out of gas. Yeah. So uh, there's been an update on that, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Japan's lander, um, um, got a lunar lander, um, so we'll talk about that. Some non-space stuff. We've got some uh, other tech news I had was um, Samsung versus Apple, um, some Google news if we get time, um, and then there's some biology news. So it's sort of mixing it up a bit. So 
back to our roots, what we like to do at uh, It's Not Rocket Surgery here at it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it is uh, 10.37. We've flown through the introduction. I know. And and I'm usually expecting a, uh, a session break to pop up, but it's not there. Just quickly. Yeah. I have quickly looked up the Wikipedia okay. entry for uh, the, the Valkyrie. Valkyrie, the XB-70. Okay. Um, basically, uh, it was going to, it's a six-engine bomber. Uh, capable of flying at seventy thousand feet at Mark three plus. Right, that's at super it? supersonic, super super fast. Mm. The f- they felt that basically at that speed and that altitude, it was virtually immune to interception. Yep. However, uh, similar to what affected the um, U two mm-hmm. uh, aircraft with the same idea, fly high, yep. fly fast, be immune. Yep. Um, that the Soviets managed to uh, bring in some uh, very decent high altitude surface to air missiles mm-hmm. which kind of rendered its immunity a bit yep. questionable um so they were starting to think more of dropping them down at a low level mm-hmm. to fly and at that point their performance wasn't so much better than the b-52s that they were going to replace that yep. it made sense but they were a hell of a lot more expensive yep um and then intercontinental ballistic missiles started to be mass-produced and available. Yep. And so, therefore, the, kind of like the raison d'etre for having the aircraft mm-hmm. sort of fell away. So, they decided that uh, they would keep the prototypes and they would just use them to do basically NASA investigations into, you know, high-speed flight yep. at high altitude. Um, and sadly, while they were doing that, that's mm-hmm. when one of them was clipped during a test flight. And, uh, yeah, the other one is kind of basically in the museum in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Cool. So, there you go. That is the XB-70 Val- uh, Valkyrie story. Nice. All right. Well, we'll, and then we'll talk about the X- So, I was wrong in many respects. Well, you were and you weren't. So <laughs> it didn't crash because it was crap. No. no. <laughs> it was just crashed because it was, sorry, it, it was uh, canned because it was expensive. Yeah. And, look, the X-1s are because it's, they're basically often one of a kind. But you have a look at it, the thing looks like a, uh, if you could stick an extra fin and weapons on a Concorde, that's the really Okay, well, this looks, the X-59 doesn't look like a a Concorde. It is long and sleek. I mean, because we we know stuff about supersonic flight, it it ticks the boxes that it has to tick. Yes. But it is actually... Well, let's face it, if you're going to fly fast and high, you kind of want to be thin and long. Yep. And, uh, I mean, if you're looking for flight flight, like not taking too much energy, Mm -hmm. you want something that looks like a glider, so long, thin uh, wings. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're going to go like a dart, then you kind of want to be wings wings like a dart. And and with special modifications to make sure it doesn't make a sonic boom that hits the ground. So that's that's the theory. Now, because that, that's the reason why you couldn't have a supersonic aircraft flying over land. Basically, it would shatter every window correct. that it flew near. Correct, and people complain, and so and, and yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about that um, after the the song and the station break. Sure. Um, if you want to say hello, please do. If you've got a mobile devices, you you can more than welcome to reach out and say hello. If you um, if you don't, you can get us on the socials. Um, rock, uh, at R-C-K-T-S-R-G-R-Y. That's Rocket Surgery Nova Hours on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. Say hello. We uh, we always like to say hello. And uh, if we see it while we're on the air, we'll, we'll read it out if it's uh, if it's uh, 
Readoutable. <laughs> um, if not, we'll edit it. edit it and we'll read out what we can. Correct. So um, I was going to play, I had a few songs lined up, um, but on my way here, I did think of a song that was uh, quite appropriate for Ariana's birthday. So let me see if I can get this thing to work. I can get it to work. Excellent. All right. So it is um, 10.42 here on 98.9 Northwest FM. Uh, Andrew and Vlado for episode 340. 49 of It's Not Rock Surgery, this 21st of January. Indeed. Uh, Andrew and I will be... Let me just make sure Jazz on. All right. Andrew and I will be back shortly. And we're back. Yeah. That was uh, Forever Young by Interactive. Not the version I remember, but um, that was, uh, yeah, for Ariana. It was her song. She used to sing around, forever, forever, forever. So, and I'm sure she's thrilled that you told the rest of the world this. I hadn't thought about that, had I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I don't have children, and even I know. Don't do that. All right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the Lockheed. Yes. So uh, the, the, this launch was, I think, on the 8th of January. Um, so we're talking about a prototype that's actually flying. It has not flown. So, it, so when they, they say launch, are we talking they, about the... They rolled it out. They unveiled it. They, right. the, the, it's, it's launched like a... Um, launched like a, a Like product, a perfume. Like a perfume. <laughs> Precisely. As opposed to launch so like a it, boat. It was, <laughs> it was the rollout rather than the launch. So rollout of the, rolled out of the hangar. Okay. Um, so this on the 12th of January. So two days prior to the last show. But like I said, we were deep in, the, um, in, in uh, ruminations about... And prognostications or review of, um, so the X ninety five aircraft rolled out on the hangout so Friday week, twelfth of January. Um, in the lead up to its first takeoff, the pl- experimental plane built by Lockheed Martin is designed to develop a quieter type of supersonic flight. So it's called NASA's Quest mission with a double S. I don't know why. Um, which aims to demonstrate supersonic flight that only produces a sonic thud, a thump. So Quest with two S's. Mm. Q-U-E-S-S-T. So supersonic thud would be like the the S-S-T part. Perhaps, yes. Quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rather than a deafening boom that sonic... Uh, supersonic aircraft typically produced. The mission's first flight is expected this year and testing will run through 2027. So so there are pictures of it. The, 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 The show art tonight, Actually, um, has that uh, artist's imp- impression of the <laughs> of the aircraft? In Please flight. tell me they've actually rolled. They've out rolled a physical it. So they actually rolled out a physical. Does thing. it have an engine? It does have an engine. It has has wings. It has an uh, empennage. It has everything it needs to to fly. It has a cockpit, supposedly. So, not seen the inside. I've seen I'm just it, wondering I've seen if it's kind of like uh, the Tesla truck. Uh, no, this is, this, well, they haven't put they haven't put a date on the on the flight. Okay. Um, Look, so. I I don't care. I'm excited. It's an aerospace uh, mm-hmm. cool thing, and yep. I like aerospace cool things. Yes. So I'm going to be excited. Hence why I thought I am going to not be critical. No. Uh, so, but they so they did the a, a live launch on NASA website website and on YouTube, so you can actually watch the whole thing. Largely, mostly talking heads. Um, bit of bit of okay. uh, so it's it's not it's not the most exciting of launches, um, but it's got the aircraft in the background with the cool purple lights and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So the actual aircraft, um, 
And the I think it was the um, CEO of Lockheed Martin when he was he got up and spoke. He said that his the analogy he used this aircraft is like if he was to jump off the stage and and um, do a bomb in a pool, the splash would go like seven rows back. Right. Um, that's normal aircraft flying. Um, if he if he if he bombed like a thud. Correct. So he said what this aircraft will do is more like what an Olympic swimmer does ent- entering the water. You basically don't see a ripple, a very small ripple. So, okay. and that's And that's, that was the analogy he used in his... Uh, see, that's interesting to me because um, the problem with... I mean, I suspect the guy knows what he's talking about, mm-hmm. but um, one of the, the differences between a... Moving quickly through water, obviously, and moving quickly through air, particularly at transonic speeds. Mm-hmm. Well, moving through water is about getting through a an, a, an, a material that does not compress. Yep. So it's just get out of the way. Yep. Now, obviously, if you put a lot of energy into that get out of the way, then it gets out of the way quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, if you hit it too hard, of course, it's going to go no, and then you're going to break. Yep. <laughs> Um, that's why you can't go supersonic in water. No. <laughs> uh, as bullets discover when they hit the water. Yeah. Um, obviously in air, because it is compressible, it's kind of like a sort of spongy spring. Mm-hmm. And those springs kind of get closer and closer and squishier and squishier. Yeah. Um, until... Essentially, you can go... Like, the air can't get out of the way any faster. So, it's literally just shoved out of the yep. way. Um, at that moment, when it can't go any... You know, like, From what I understand, there's an energy release at yes. that point. So, and that is the shockwave that they must correct. be trying to uh, mute. Yes. And I wonder how that's possible. Because I wouldn't have thought that... I mean, if you fly high enough, you're not push. There's not as much air to push out of the Correct. way, so it's not as strong. Mm-hmm. But obviously, at low level, yep. you're pushing your knot out of the yep. way. Um, but you still have to push it. Yes, you can't sort of like just negotiate with the air and just say, "Hey, you know, um, I'm going to be coming through here next Wednesday. Yep. If you can be like, you know, doing your socks or your laundry or just something, yep. just not here, that'll be great." Yeah. Well, it, it look and it largely comes down to the shape. So, from a, from an aerodynamics point of view, basically, you, you want to um, uh, reduce the amount of compression. Uh, at you want to you want to control when it compresses and how that release occurs. Because this thing must be one slippery son of yeah, a. It, well, it is. Oh God, I haven't seen them. Like any, I mean, I'm we're not, talking super, super, super cool aerofoil shape, cool stuff. So, we. You know, yep. like we're not talking stealth cool. We're talking aerodynamic cool. So if you can see, yeah. it looks like a dart. So it's got the delta wing. It's got um, it's got a um, high, very small um, horizontal tail. Um, so basically... Well, because again, I mean, like anything that comes off that wing is going to slam into whatever part of the aircraft correct. is in its pl- path. Yep, correct. So, and I think part of the design is basically to make sure that if there are sonic emissions from um as this crosses the sound barrier that it they are dispersed upwards rather than downwards yeah um how they do that i think is, is probably the tr- 
a trick. And I imagine and they're hoping shape. to disperse it as soon as possible, so to make it as low energy a boom as they Correct. can. Correct. As opposed to just punch holes yep. through the air. Correct. So, look, th- there's a lot to be seen. Uh, and look, uh, um, Andrew and Reg would probably be good in to talk Absolutely. about Absolutely. Because, I mean, we both are um, structural engineers. Correct. You know, once we started doing our... <laughs> once the mathematics started to pile <laughs> We all kind of looked at it went, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, do I need this in my life? <laughs> you know? Um, and while, you know, you could chuck it into a wind tunnel and visualize it. Yep. At the end of the day, you still have to do the number crunching. And, and there's, there's um, I saw a, a Deutsche Welle um, video about the, about the, the launch and I showed video footage of the, of, um, a scale model of this in a wind tunnel, and now they only show you most of the stuff. The them generating the 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 snow, the snow, <laughs> the smoke on the upper surface. upper surface. They didn't show what was happening in the lower okay. surface, and I think that's probably where a lot of the 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 IP is really going to be because if that's where they're trying to stop the the downward sonic booms, that's probably where the uh, the the trade secrets will be. I imagine so. so. I mean, it's also, I mean, just classic aerodynamics. You mm. know, you have the super clean yep. upper surface so that the air is flowing over it mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. And you can put all sorts of rubbish underneath <laughs> to slow the air down at the bottom mm. and then get that differential that but then nece- sucks the plane up. Yeah, but not necessarily supersonic aircraft that you're trying to minimize. No, because, I mean, booms, yeah. you've got drag. Correct. Drag still exists in Correct. this equation. And, and if, if you've got things... If you've got a messy stuff underneath, which is going to cause a boom at a different time, or multiple booms, then that's that's not ideal. So, no. um, so look, it, it'll be interesting. We'll probably took this is going to be like test flights for a while, and this is meant to ultimately be commercial. Correct, because that artist's impression of a dart flying through the air does not look like it takes many passengers. No, no. So uh, in in its X fifty nine form, it's basically um, I think Looks two like a test plane. To uh, like a pilot and a, and a test pilot, a top pilot and a navigator, or a pilot and an observation observer, observer, or whatever. So I think like at most probably two, maybe three at a push. I don't know. I've not seen the cockpit configuration, but um, I wonder if this is one of the rewards. Because um, you remember when we were going through mm-hmm. uni, yep, thirty years ago. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> when they were talking about Navier-Stokes equations yep. to describe literally what is happening in any given element of air mm-hmm. around an aerofoil shape. Yep. And the idea was, this is the complete equation. The problem is it's nigh on impossible to solve. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Once, let alone for all the millions upon millions of yep. particles of air that you want to solve it for. Mm-hmm. And fast forward 30 years, and it's kind of like... Um, Slight digression. Elizabeth and I are watching a show this afternoon talking about the Enigma machine and Bletchley Park's attempts to crack it and the computer that they created to crack Enigma using a very brute force approach, Mm -hmm. which made sense at the time. Um, And I said to her, like, you realize that our phones have more computing power than Bletchley Park has. Absolutely. You know, Um, and it really shows you. And that's only like, that's 60, 70 years ago. Um, and it really shows you that if you, for example, send a, a iPad or um, a laptop mm-hmm. back in time to them and say, just run this software, yep. you'd have been able to crack basically almost in real time yep. a lot of this stuff. And I wonder if the advances in computer technology over the last 30 years, bring it back yep. to this, 
um, has meant that because they've been able to analyze to a far higher degree mm-hmm. all of these different aerofoil shapes, yep. that they've been able to discover some like like the, the research that they've been doing into stealth mm-hmm. has as a spin-off made them realize that what they did think was like like a because again when we were going through yeah. people talking about that transonic region mm-hmm. it's really unstable people don't really know what's going on in there until you get past that and then you're into yeah. supersonic flight and you're all good maybe quietly under their hats yep. Uh, and all of their work that they've been doing for stealth mm-hmm. that some side projects have spun off and they've been able to go, you know what? If we did this aerofoil shape, we yep. might be able to fly a supersonic aircraft yep. that doesn't mm-hmm. shatter windows. Yep. You know what I mean? Possibly. And so they have the actual mathematics and the analysis and the modeling to back that up yep. now, which is why they're talking about it because let's face it, this sort of prototype would be super expensive. Yes, and look, I mean, I guess, and Lockheed's not so rich. <laughs> this is why NASA's sort of driving it because, NASA, but even NASA's not no, so rich not. So, that they can. So, but from I guess from like a, this isn't the sixties. No, no, and 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 it's why this this has to have a commercial application. Like, look, I'm not saying it won't have necessarily a military application because I mean we fly seven three sevens in a military uh, way, and, and but not at. No. Like, when we talk military applications, we're talking military speeds, really. Correct. And to be honest, again, in an environment where you have drones Mm -hmm. and rockets that can do, you know, many, many, many more Gs than a human pilot can do, um, have we really... Like, is there any airspace that we could put military technology in that we haven't already got something in there else? No. And I just like the idea that they're willing to push into a an area they probably haven't touched in yeah, well, thirty years. Look, the Concorde's been retired for twenty. Um, the last Concorde flight was twenty years ago. So, um, so yeah, and so yeah, this is from a commercial point of view, like commercial flight. This is a niche that they 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 think they that must think there's a lot of money there. But and this and, would cost a fortune. Oh yeah, from a development point of view. So basically, if Lockheed Martin can get a, uh, I mean, it used to be a case of you just basically fly, and if the plane blew up, well, so be it. Yep. Um, you'd keep going until you had a stable design, mm-hmm. and then you would turn that into something that yep. people might buy. Um, and let's face it, most commercial flights are all based around cost, 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 yep. not cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And supersonic flight has always fallen into the cool, cool, cool bucket. Yep. Well, look, and and when Concorde was flying, it it targeted a niche the people who wanted to get from LA to London or or back in a couple not of LA, hours. New York to London or back in a couple of hours because time was for them was uh, a rarer commodity than than money, so they could afford. But the expense of it was, yeah, super prohibitive again. But there was a market for it. Yes, it wasn't a wasn't a mass market though, and but, and that but that's what I'm saying. Like, um, it's not like they have are coming off of the we can do anything engineering vibe of say the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. Um, they're very much coming off of the you know series of investment crashes of the last 20 years, yeah. uh, consolidations and retrenchments, and so um, and shrinking government budgets for these sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they've had a public-private partnership into such a, a what should be a niche area yeah. 
either they are the biggest idiots that God's ever put on this earth or they know something that they've done the numbers and they've convinced some very hard-headed and, people and I, and I that think, they can make them. And I think I, they, I think they have done the numbers. I think that, look, and like when we were at uni, they were talking about um, Melbourne to, to London in four hours rather than... 24 whatever yeah that is now less than 24 now but but this is the thing too it's like sure you can turn around and say yeah you could fly it in four hours but you have to build an aircraft that can run for that long yeah and that requires engines that provide Correct. enough fuel efficiency yeah. that you're not like you don't need another plane at the back to fill to up refuel. again <laughs> look look i don't know so my understanding is this is to, to demonstrate the, the the sonic um the, the feasibility of this from a from a sound point of view, whether this whether the technology is there and there's an appetite for people who are going to be experiencing the thump rather than the, the boom. Mm. Um, so basically the, the idea is they'll fly this for a year or so and then they'll go to, to everyone and say, all right, we've actually flown over your house five times. Have you heard it? What were, the, were there any repercussions? Was there any damage? And so basically to see whether... It's feasible for them to to use this in a over commercial uh, yeah, space, over overpopulated areas. Yeah, because that's the thing. If they're able to, if they're allowed to do that, then it's probably worthwhile investing on, on well, engines again, and all the other bits they have to solve. It ceases to be a case of you want to go from London to Melbourne in four hours. It's more like you can fly, as you said, from LA to New York in twenty minutes. Yep. Yeah. That uh, is worth it. Yeah. No land transport can match that. No. And then if... Even if you factor on, say, two hours to get to the airport and then another two hours to get through onto the plane yep. and another hour and a half at the other end. But then, but then it becomes an economy of scale. So if that if it's, it's de- deemed feasible from a sound point of view, it's deemed feasible from a, from a market point of view, the cost will come down as more and more of these are, are flying if that's... If that's the way it goes, so I'd be excited to see if they could combine it with other technology, like in aircraft that can, like, short smaller runways. Mm-hmm. Because if you can do that, because I imagine at the moment, even if you could build a supersonic transport jet that could carry three hundred people, yep, uh, without shattering windows everywhere it went, they're still going to get slow. Like the congestion's going to be at the airports. There yep. aren't that many gates left. Mm-hmm like any slots to land. Yep. Um, and while you may not be breaking windows, you are going to be making noise. Yep. But if you can shrink it to a smaller, say, 100 people, zooty, you know, yep. medium kind of jet, and you can say, well, I can fly from, say, Denver to, um, I don't know, um, Boston. Yep. In 20 minutes. Yep. Or um, San Francisco to um, to Miami yep. in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That might be mm. a more viable market. You don't have to make a bigger plane. Yep. Um, you're pitching to a, a wealthier crowd yep. where they can like, – and run out of like more like a private air, yep. uh, airstrip type mm-hmm. arrangement. So – it's not like you have to find major slots in major air, fly- sorry, a major airport yep. um, flights. Like yep. uh, they're terminals. already congested. Like your, your Atlantis, your O'Hare's, your. Um, but if you could just say, look, um, like a Gulfstream, yep. 
and just go, it's a golf stream, but it travels three times as fast. Yep. And they'll go, I'll take that. Yeah. The problem is with looking but at- But you get permission to yeah. land in areas that you otherwise wouldn't be allowed to land in because yep. you can't sonic boom yep. them. Um, and they go super fast and we're allowed to fly in there. Yep. Perfect. Then you don't have to go so far in the next iteration to make it commercially viable. Yep. You just sell the technology to luxury airliners. Yeah. They've already got uh, jets that um, like th- they they have the edge into that sort of a market. Yep. And so um, it might be. I'd be interested to see who partners with them after this if they yeah. can pull it off. Well, I think because the, they're not going to do it now. They're not going to do it now. So basically, Skunkworks is heavily involved in this. So basically, they'll. Sh- Prove what is possible with the with the design, and then they'll take it to, to let somebody else commercialize it. So and that's that's basically um, I heard a, a an expert who was in Washington who described the the, the noise of the Concorde when he used to fl- fly out of Dulles. Yeah, and he goes, "Look, this is how this this is how this is going to run." And basically said, "Prove it. Ask mm. him if it's all good. Commercialize it. Scale it up." Um, that they'll cross those bridges when they come to it. Oh, so. no, no, that's cool. But as I said, like, I couldn't imagine that um, you would try and get into a congested uh, no. tourist oh. market type environment. Mm-hmm. Like Airbus and Boeing are probably going to watch this with moderate interest yep. just to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But until they can get a 100, 150-seat aircraft up and running. Yep. Yeah, yeah okay. it's, again, it's it's... They're seeing what's possible in the in the research realm, and then they're not going to lose. I mean, Boeing's got their own problems oh to do with at the moment. They're <laughs> not going to worry about. We could this. do a whole show about the Max Eights and Max Nines. But, oh yeah, but this yeah. is what happens when you just get greedy. Yep, yep, and because I don't know, did we talk about this last week? No, because um, for me, it's this idea of an aircraft because. When I was interested in crash investigation yep. a long time ago, um, one of the big tragedies was a DC-10 um, that crashed into um, a forest near uh, Charles de Gaulle mm-hmm. Airport, Turkish airliner. Mm-hmm. And the problem there was it was actually a tragedy that had been years in the making. Um, it had already almost caused multiple crashes beforehand. And the problem was basically that the cargo door Mm-hmm. Uh, the lock mechanism yep. was cute, mm-hmm. but prone to damage. Yep. And therefore, it could give you an indication that it was shut, yep. but it not locked. Anyway, of course, once you have uh, pressurized aircraft, low pressure air, the door could blow off. And uh, given that then you would have a low pressure cargo bay under a high pressure mm-hmm. pressurized cabin yep. and that the control systems run through the floor between those two yeah. points, any damage or buckling of the floor because of the pressure differential mm-hmm. would then compromise the controls, which is what happened. Yeah. Um, but part of that was understanding how do doors work in a plane? Yeah. And... Um, your passenger doors don't work that way. They uh, fold inwards Mm -hmm. and they're designed to be like corks in a bottle. Mm -hmm. So the high pressure side is on the large side and the small side is on the outside. And so as the the aircraft pressurizes, it forces that cork more and more against the thing. So I was thinking, how do you get a blowout? Mm -hmm. And it turns (laughs) out that 
the design is one of those optional designs mm. where sometimes they have uh, doors there and sometimes they don't, um, depending upon the configuration yep. of the aircraft. And the problem here is that in the configurations that don't have a door there, well, they just put a panel in there. Yep. And that panel is attached by bolts. And as we both know, mm -hmm. anything that has fasteners in it can potentially yep. unfasten. Mm -hmm. And if that happens and you get loose play and loose play leads to fatigue and fatigue leads to bits failing and then boom. But, but my understanding is they didn't even install the fasteners in the, in the Max 9 incident recently. Because I know that they've inspected the fleet and they found yeah. loose fasteners. Yeah, yeah. So I think that... I wasn't sure that what was well, the they, actual... Well, they, they basically found the entire panel that blew out and I think that, that, that fasteners were not installed that should have been installed. Which is insane. Yeah. And that's a, that's a quality control problem yep. for the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. No airliner in the history of flying can uh, can fix because this is the sort of thing where it's like no no this is now structural mm -hmm. like this is not an inspectable part of the aircraft normally the way this sort of thing works not Unless, not, not routine inspection not so, routinely yeah, so it would be a it'll <laughs> like be a deep a, maintenance if you're looking right, for deep it maintenance, you can get it's in right, there. correct but you have to like disassemble chunks of yep. the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No wonder the uh, head of Boeing was basically Mia Culpering like, like oh, yeah. a crazy fiend. All right. It is uh, 11 past 11 here on 98.9 Northwest FM, Science, Technology, and Geek Culture. Uh, Andrew and I have gone deep on the aircraft. So uh, that doesn't surprise either of no, us. No. Um, at RCKTSRGOO, the chocolate surgery, no vowels. If you want to say hello, please do. Um, we should probably do another song. Uh, station breaks are not coming up on on inspiration, so Weird. I'll uh, just go to a song. I might put in a a, a a station break afterwards, just to make sure that um, we're doing our, our bit to support our, those who support us. Indeed. Uh, all right. So let me queue up a song. Was there anything else we want to talk talk about the X ninety five before we go on? There's basically there's, there's a cool trailer you can watch on YouTube. Just just. Look! Look at the. Um, we might post it on our yeah, socials. Yeah, I might do that during a song. So, all right. So let me find a song. There's a whole heap of songs I was going to play. Let me find. Um, all right. Yes, this one. This one's a good one. All right. So, let me cue that up. Put that on there. And all right. So uh, Andrew and I will be back in um, four minutes. Well, five, five with the five and change. Yeah. Back soon. And we're back. Yeah, yeah. That was um, scary pockets with uh, featuring Victoria Canal with uh, the weirdest cover of Teenage Dirtbag. Indeed, very mellow. Then another one for Adriana's uh, birthday. She's no longer a teenage dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> you are so kind. All right, all right. So, um, moving off the um, the X ninety five, some other tech stories before we move into space and and uh, biology. Yep. Um, the a Apple basically has ended Samsung's twelve year run as the top smartphone seller. So, uh, so and Samsung's basically trying to push. AI into the the new Galaxy is basically mark, being marketed as a a feature. A, a AI is is um yes a feature is is embedded in there. It's part of the design. Um, now, 
having moved away from the Samsung environment, I was a Samsung user for many years. Um, I found that their features were crap. Um, Bixby and all, they had so much bloatware on there. <laughs> um, that's why I left the Samsung environment and I am not regretting it at all. Um, so I'm not sure what Apple's doing right, but I think it could be just as much Samsung just... Could be there back down on the idea of right of repair. Could be. Yes. You know. And and they've been forced... So the Europeans have made made them make a few changes um, in terms of their, their charging ports and all that sort of stuff. So basically, they are making them more universal. Um, Which is about bloody time. Well, you know. But that was their... their their MO, their business model was basically not to play well with others. I accept that you want to keep things separate, yeah. but some features are just too useful mm. and too... Um, you can't tell me it just t- it took too much effort to make ports universal. No. But that, the, you know, a charging cable could charge... For them, the, the, there was as much money in the... the accessories. Third, accessories and all that sort of stuff than it was in the actual devices. In... in so, you know, Man. they just have to change their business model because yep. legislators have said thou shalt not and they will – so basically they've, they've changed it. So um, the other couple of stories I had is basically Google's newest AI um, beats the best math Olympians. So this is a story about Google um, uh, using artificial intelligence to uh, solve um, uh G, uh, geometry problems. Okay. Um, so basically, um, the Math Olympics is basically what it sounds like. Basically, the smartest maths people in the world compete and they get about 30-something questions. Yep. And um, and basically, uh, test of 30 Olympiad geometry problems, uh, alpha geometry. So this is the AI, uh, Google a- Google's AI. Um, it's called Alpha Geometry. It's a system that solves complex geometry problems at a level approaching a human Olympiad gold medalist. Um, so the Alpha Geometry was able to solve 25 within the standard Olympiad time time limits. Now, geometry maths is very different from other things that AI has been thrown at. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, and they've had to adopt something basically combining two different techniques so they combined um, a simple number cruncher um, uh, and uh, uh, human intelligence so the fact that uh, alpha geometry can tackle I've just scrolled and I've lost what I was reading (laughs) Um, so the fact that alpha geometry can tackle the kind of complex mathematical problems faced by Olympiad mathletes here's a word for you mathletes may signal a key milestone in AI research uh, until now, such programs would face at least two major hurdles. Computers are well uh, as well. Um, firstly, computers are are well computers. As anybody who ever written a 50-page of code, so basically you've got to code it, and it, you can make one mistake, and then it, it throws everything off. Yeah. So they're using um, neural networks to do a lot of the uh, algebraic reasoning, um, and, and also of a deep mind. Uh, humans are good at maths. But they are using general response uh, reasoning skills that current artificial learning systems don't possess. Interesting. So um, alpha alpha geometry, however, take, takes on the challenge by combining a neural language model, uh, good at making uh, quick uh, predictions, 
but rubbish at making ac uh, actual sense with symbolic deduction engine. Um, these the latter machine is uh, are based on formal logic and use clear rules to arrive at conclusions. So basically, it and it does that. It, it uses one until it gets to a point where it doesn't think it's going to do any better. Yep. And then it asks Dumps the other one and goes, "Hey, have you got a better idea?" And, and, and then and that can kickstart. It comes that iterative type approach. And it actually, with that approach, they're able to get it to solve twenty five of the thirty. Cool. Um, math problems within the time limit that they uh, allow for the uh, Olympics uh, math athletes. I was just thinking that uh, slightly related to this, mm -hmm. that if I was going to design an AI package along this sort of, I'd call it Pantheon. Pantheon. Because the idea would be that you have all of these different kind of AI models mm -hmm. inside the, the core. Yep. And you would just like, essentially it's like, all right, all of you start... Whichever one of you gets the furthest will start to pour more resources yep. into and wind back the until you get stuck. And then we might take you wherever you are and then say to everyone else, hey, if you had to start from here, yep. how do you think you'd go? And you just sort of like slide through your pantheon of uh, champions yep. until, you know, you uh, found your way to a solution. Yeah, and, and I think that's I've done this with two. And if you had multiple ones, you could probably do something similar. There's always a risk of, of doing that because you could always find yourself in a local minimum. So something... But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you may... It may be that you'd say you'd give different instructions to different AIs. Yeah. Like going, all right, start here. Yeah. And then you'd say others, all right, start four steps back. Yeah. Start nine steps mm -hmm. back. Actually... Your idea from the start looked pretty good. How about you yeah. continue that a bit further forward? And that's and that's the power of AI, and basically why we have uh, antibiotics that we didn't have pr previously. We have antibiotics that was designed by artificial intelligence because they're able to basically um, brute force a number of things, but they know what works and what doesn't mm. work because they have the the, uh, the the training to know. Well, there's a lot of mathematical uh, techniques that prevent you from getting caught in local minima. Yes. Sorry, local maxima. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. utilizing like multiple little workers rather than one super worker. Yeah. So and so the, the developers of this basically says we're not making incremental. Uh, we are not making incremental improvements. We're making a big jump, a big breakthrough in terms of the results. But they're doing that through the combination of two different models that are making incremental improvements and but just working together. Cool. So. Very cool. Um, and the other uh, AI story that I had, or actually it's more on Google story, it's in, in tech, is that um, there's been a study that shows that it actually, a lot of people notice that Google results are getting worse. Okay. Um, is this because people are nobbling Google? Largely, yes. Basically, people playing the SEO game and, and as a result... Um, the, the results that Google's able to produce are just worse than they were in the past. See, I think that's potentially very interesting from a... Because um, it used to be that, from what my brother told me, um, once people cracked the algorithm of how Google rated shit... Yep, it changed its page they would, they would change that algorithm yep. and so they would try and stay ahead of... Yes. And it sounds like that either there are too many competitors now trying to work out what's going on and, and optimizing for it distorting the market yeah. or that Google is no longer willing to pay the developers I think a sufficient amount to stay ahead. Uh, so having having been somebody who played the Google game in the past, um, having web designed and stuff like that, and having posted things to to my blog 
with the sole purpose of ra- ranking number one on a certain search. Yep. Um, um, it was quite interesting, but as soon as they change the page rank formula, you go from number one or, or on page one of the searches to nowhere. So, but many people were gaming it. Not, and I wasn't doing it for commercial reasons. I was just doing it for for the fun of my blog. Yep. But um, it was evident when they they changed it, and you, you could. Yeah, it it was like night and day in terms of the results. Results, and I and I just wonder but if I they've th- just given up on it. But I think in terms of that, those were the the wild west days of of the internet. Mm. Um, now, basically, um, so the, this article talks about uh, interview um, interviewed uh, Marissa Meyer, mm-hmm. who basically was Google employee number twenty. Um, and she went on to become the CEO of Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Um, her her record at Yahoo wasn't great, but anyway. <laughs> um, but they, she said, um, I don't think the quality of the internet is has taken a hit. Uh, when I start, uh, I do think, sorry, I do think the internet. So basically it's a quality thing, she yeah. says. Um, when she started at Google, there were about 30 million web pages. So crawling them all and indexing them all was relatively straightforward. Uh, it sounds a lot like uh, it sounds like a lot, but it's small today. I think there is one point where Google had seen more than one trillion URLs. So that's the thing. And throw in the fact that people are gaming this with uh, SEO, they're 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 dumping a whole heap of words to 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 rank better on the search engine. But the thing is, Google have invested so much money in in capturing a database of all this. If they change the formula, it's basically hitting reset and they know if they do that yes they might fix parts of it but they'll have a lot of angry people who who have customized and 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 set it up to get the results they need and their internal systems are set up in a way um it's more baked in than it was back in the 2000s when they could change early 2000s that's right and they could play with the settings and it wouldn't kill correct um so uh, maya added that uh, it, it was natural for people to blame google when they weren't getting the high quality results that they used to but she sees google's results as more a window into the web itself the real question is why is the web getting worse? And they say it's only going to get worse because now people are using artificial intelligence mm. to create content, which is, is going to target um, better rankings and stuff like that. So, uh, and the yeah. thing is, people are frustrated at because I know they put the bit that they've the, the clickbait is right down because they get rewarded by the amount of time somebody spends on a page. Because the 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 algorithm says, well, you spent five minutes here. You spent five minutes here because you're looking for the thing that you came here to, to, find. to find. So they reward bad bad design. Bad design, and yeah. it's only bad design because the reason why they designed it that way is because they want to rank higher. It's it's it, it's a yes. It's an Oribus, basically, a shit eating snake of it eating its own shit tail. Yes, never getting away from itself. Yes. Um, so, I think we've got a title. A title. Um, <laughs> You're going, finally. Finally. Um, all right, so, those are the tech stories. It is 11.30. We've got a half an hour to go. I know. Just cranking um, along. So, uh, what, so let's let's ditch tech. Let's go to do some space stories and we'll do a song and we'll come back with uh, the yeah. biology. All right. Um, so, space stories. We've got um, Osiris Rex. Basically, we, we, we spoke about this before. This is the... the um, probe that went to an asteroid Bennu, grabbed some soil, came back. They couldn't open the canister. 
They couldn't they open They couldn't the- open the canister. So it spent the last couple of months. So this is like uh, forged in fire where they forgot to put the, the whiteout liquid yeah, in so pretty, that the canister wouldn't bond to the material. Pretty much. So, so now they have to cut it off with a circular they, they saw. Have, they have spent the last couple of months trying to figure out how to get into this without contaminating the sample. Um, so after nearly four long months, the contents of the canister has finally been seen in all its glory. So four months they took to make sure they did it right. Mm-hmm. But yes, it, it, it went to an asteroid, Bennu, came back, landed. It was all, hey, it's here. And then they felt, oh, we can't, we can't open, open it. it. So the, Does someone take- remember what the number is? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they finally removed the two, final fa- uh, two fasteners in the canister after nearly four months after it dropped in the Utah desert. Yep. Cyrus Rex and the curation team at NASA has finally revealed the uh, remaining sam- r- sample of the asteroid Bennu. Um, so they haven't released any um, any analysis. Basically, they they just released this fi- image of the open canister. Um, um, but yes, it was. Um, they took their time. They made sure that it was uh, safe. Um, and now they've got access to more than seventy grams of material that they didn't have. So basically, they'll analyze the uh, this space dust from an asteroid to see what makes up asteroid to get an insight into. Man, that's asking a lot of 70 grams. (laughs) Yes. It's like nothing. Yeah, well, they don't need a lot for a spectrometry, spectroscope. No, but still, this is is the... uh, This is like breaking into the Tower of London and picking one jewel. Yep. (laughs) Whatever it is, you've got 60 seconds, and then you're out of there. Um, the story that Tony um, told us about last week, the uh, the failed Peregrine. Yes, because of a whole bunch of issues, fuel loss uh, has Leak essentially... Leak, basically they couldn't control yeah. the... the uh, um, they couldn't keep it pointing it. At the moon in the right direction. And so, um, so they were using fuel to correct, but also losing fuel because of the leak. Um, then they realized uh, gonna it, it wasn't going to make it. So basically they said, oh, just turn it off and let it, let it, land, let it crash. Um, basically it burnt up over Australia. Um, just Which amazes me considering how thin our ozone layer is. <laughs> um, but it, look, it all comes down to what angle is coming in. So this is a story yeah. from Friday, so it's a couple of days ago. That's got to be gutting. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you got so many hopes, and within a couple of weeks, it's like, yeah, it's just ash in the sky. Yeah, I guess it's at least just a couple of weeks rather than when, like, the Mars Mars probes took nine months to get there and, and then it crashed know. into the surface. Yeah. Um, so, um, like, I, you know, you just have people just looking at each other going, you screwed this up. <laughs> you right. screwed this up. Uh, so, Astrobotics, a Peregrine Lander, was launched from Cape Canaveral on, on the 8th of January. It was scheduled to land on the moon on the 23rd of February. Um, and was going to be the first U.S. moon landing in 50 years, mm. but no longer. Nope. The uh, company announced on the 9th of January that the aircraft would not be able to land after it suffered a critical fuel leak and propulsion system issue while en route. Uh, Astrobotics said in a statement that its vehicle completed a uh, its controlled re-entry over, water, over an open water in the South Pacific on at 8 a.m. AEDT, so American Eastern Daylight Time. Yep. Uh, on Friday, um, so and basically, there's a uh, video footage of the re-entry over the Earth's atmosphere above Australia. You mean the burn up? Burn up, yes. Re-entry. Can't really call it re-entry if you don't actually make it through. Oh, you know, it's it's spirit. <laughs> 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 yes, it's arrived at, back home in spirit. 
the spirit of Peregrine. All right. Um, in other and more successful lunar landers, yes, Japan. Well, look, I I, I use that sparingly, given um, it's not still not fantastic. No. So basically, Japan's moon sniper craft. It's landed, uh, hasn't it? It has landed, um, uh, but it's unable to generate electricity via the solar power as it happens. So basically it's called Slim. Um, so I can't remember what Slim was for. I heard it on the radio. So it was, so this is a JAXA space agency making Japan the seventh, I think, okay. nation to land, successfully land on the moon. And um, actually fifth, only four nations, Soviet Union, United States, China, and India. But I guess the Soviet Union can be broken up into multiple nations now. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can't remember where the name Slim. Oh, uh, a reporter asked about the Angel of Slim, um, the angle of Slim, not Angel. Angel of Slim, <laughs> and whether it was upside angel, down. Angel, <laughs> Angel of Slim. Um, the Japanese space agency say they cannot answer the question whether it's upside down or not. So it could be upside down. I wouldn't have thought that was a particularly difficult question to answer, but it shows you how little I understand yeah. spacecraft dynamics. Um, so I'm just trying to to find where it's called, called Slim for a reason. Might be in the other story. I mean, I don't know. I would have thought that a basic gyroscope would have told them if it's on its head. Yes, it should. Um, so the uh, previous talk, article talks about it um, trying to land. Uh, the smart lander for in investigating moon is what SLIM stands for. Okay. Um, and it was uh, launched on the 7th of September and it uh, landed on uh, yesterday. So I remember hearing about this, but then this, this morning the stories were about it um, basically not getting power. So Sad face. Sad face. They, look, they might try a few different things to see whether they can reconnect. But I mean, it's kind of like the stuff that used to happen on, um, on Mars. Mm-hmm. Where things would go wrong and correct, they'd kind of mm-hmm. jiggery pokery it a bit and um, work out something cool and yep. just reorient it in accordance with the new uh, solar winds and somehow boom, <laughs> we're back. We're back. That's right. Oh, look at the thing. That's uh, they. They will try different things and see what they can do. Um, so, and the final space story: enormous ice deposit, nearly four kilometers thick, discovered under Earth uh, under Mars's equator. Wow. Four kilometers, which total means... Total recall, man. Yeah. Total recall. Which basically they say if these deposits were to melt, the entire surface of Mars would be under um, between four and six feet of water. So, um, oh, sorry, between 4.9 and 8.6 feet of water. Okay. So, what 1.5 to 2.7 meters deep across the whole surface. That so that's a fair chunk of water, and and that's I mean they still have the polar ice caps as well. So there's more water than they thought. Uh, so basically, they found they discovered this by looking at something called the MFFs, uh-huh. uh, the Medusa Forsaya Formation. Um, planetary scientists believe they have found an enormous deposit of water uh, ice near Mars's equator. Almost two decades ago, researchers discovered some peculiar deep deposits underneath. The Medusa Formaya Formation. The latest data suggested deposits are extremely rich in ice. There you go. So the MFF is what made 
of many wind-sculpted features and has an area of about one-fifth the continental United States. It is believed to be the biggest single source of dust on Mars and extends all the way to Gale Crater. So basically, yeah. Holy total recall. <laughs> All right, we should do a that, – that's all for space. It is 20 to – almost 20 to 12. I know. We're getting here at a 12. That's our, that's our that's goal. That's our new goal. New, new goal. So we'll do another song. We'll we'll uh, come back and we'll do the biology stories and uh, miscellaneous. Yep. Actually, biology is the miscellaneous stuff. So that should be pretty easy, and then we'll get out of here by 12. Nice. At R-C-K-T-S-R-G-R-Y, rocket surgery, no vowels. Um, I think it's probably time for a mashup. What do, you, what do you reckon? Do it. Do Ma- it. It's mashup time. Um, which one? Uh, yeah, that's, I've already done a cover. Mashup, we'll do this one. Because, um, you know, a bit of, bit of mashups. Mashups is good. And we're back. Yes. Did that come with a language warning? <laughs> I'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was uh, Bill McClontaine. Bill McClintock with uh, uh, Stupa Rena. Stupa Rena. Yes. So basically, it's um, combining Disturb with uh, Los Lobos. Well, not Los Lobos. <laughs> they did um, La Bamba. Um, Different Los. Yeah. You know, you know, the guys who did Macarena. Macarena. Can't their name. I'll look it up. Uh, lost. Anyway. I'm um, sure Google can at least uh, do this much. Um, apparently, Reggie's listening. She, she's. Tuned in late. Lost so Del Rio. Lost Del Rio. Um, Reg just said, uh, tuned in late, but better late than never. Happy 2024 to you all. Hello, Reg. Reg. Um, yes, and I did. Did they catch the I aerodynamics bit? I don't think so. Sad. That she posted eight minutes ago. Um, oh, so I did let her know that uh, we were using her name in vain. So Fair enough. Um, all right, so finally, we're at uh, quarter to... 12, let's do some of these um, biology stories. Do it. Do it. <laughs> do so, it. Um, there is a story in IFL Science about um, a twin study, basically two twins. Yeah, that's how twins used to usually roll. Yes. Twins um, who were part of a study. One twin engaged in a fair amount of um, cosmetic surgery, as in using Botox. To attack uh, for wrinkles around the eyes and the forehead, and, and the other one um, aged naturally. Aged naturally. So now <laughs> that's the, 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 the study does go into the fact that um, both had done some stuff prior to the study. The um, the naturally aged one had had like Botox twice, I think, in in seven years prior. Yeah, to it wasn't the, completely wasn't completely Botox free. But for the for the study that um, she wasn't engaging it, and the other one was was doing it a number of times a year, depending on whether it's in the forehead or around the eyes. So all the details are in there. But basically, they said that Botox treatment mm. can and does appear to reduce the permanent creases that that um, develop in uh, an aging face. So uh, your crow's feet, your forehead lines, all those creases, um, the twice yearly or four times yearly treatment of these things can um, stop the the um, the those deep permanent folds um, from from manifesting. Yeah, correct. Uh, so call it Botox um, 
so there's no so it works. So it does work. Um, but, but in fact, there's over 8.7 million cosmetic procedures a year carried out in the US in 2022. Um, so. Actually, and so this was a 19-year study. So over 19 years, they, they how do you convince two. one twin to essentially just age naturally, <laughs> and the other twin to go, "Yeah, go for it." We don't know which one of you will be the winner in the end, but you know, you will be the judge. Was there yeah. any side effects? Any noticeable so the, problems of doing it? No. So that they, they, the, the, this article does talk about the known potential dangers of Botox. Um, so the the final line in the article says, although neither twin experienced any adverse effects, recent research into Botox looked beyond the potential physical side effects. One study even concluded that Botox injections in the forehead could change how how brains process emotion. Okay. So, um, did they want to like back that statement up with you know I don't know fact? Well, <laughs> the, it doesn't have a link to the other okay. obviously that research. So. Um, but basically, the Turner says um, they did some follow-ups. Um, there's an argument that perhaps the, t- uh, the twins were aging differently. They could be blamed rather than Botox. But Binder suggested the similarity in smile lines, where neither where neither had received treatment, were um, would indicate otherwise. So basically, in that area. And let's face it, I mean. The pro- that's the problem with longitudinal studies. Yep. You're rarely going to get a, a large data source. Yeah. So unless Correct. you're going to go, well, let's do it again. Yeah, you know. And look, some of the long-term, uh, long, uh, longitudinal studies, basically, the, the there's a Harvard research where they, they looked at and they they found presidents who came out of that. And so there were a lot of those. I don't think they looked at the Botox use. Um, the, the the takeaway that I wanted was as a result, um, they concluded t- long-term treatment with Botox can prevent the development of of imprinted facial lines. So imprinted is the word I was looking for, um, that are visible at rest. Botox treatment can also reduce crow's feet. Mm. So, yeah. Do you yeah. feel the need to have I your do. crow's feet no. and uh, your indelible lines I do etched not. into your face to have them I, reduced? I, I do not, but other people do. <laughs> um, so I did click on the uh, the story that ha- the, the the links to the article, um, the research paper. And it's clear from the, the twins do look identical except for the wrinkles. Hmm. So, um, but that said, I wouldn't say the, the the ones without the wrinkles just looks younger, like maybe ten years younger than the other one. Yeah, which is what I guess they were going for, before and after. <laughs> so it's terrible. Um, it's it's just one of those things where I I I wonder like how do you say that to your twin? It's like. We look exactly the same, only you look how I'm going to look 10 years from now. And it's kind of like they're both going to reach an age where, you know, any year could be the year. Mm -hmm. Is it an advantage at that point to look your age or do you reckon looking young is is its own reward no matter how old you are? Honestly, I think... comes down to more self-esteem so and and self-image and how you perceive yourself so and that's if that's something a person needs to feel good about themselves that's their choice that is true um i don't see the need and and i yeah anyway but then society does not punish me for looking old no precisely and yes i agree 100 percent 
So, um, all right, moving on. Magpies. We're heading into sweeping season. No, we came out of sweeping season. I thought this story was awesome. It's, it's like, great. This was the the story was on the ABC. Yep, ABC. It was on the ABC. Um, this one, I, I, I discovered this through the IFL Science. But an eight year old boy, uh, an eight year old girl, sorry, has broken new ground in, in question in two questions most Australians have have pondered for some time: why do magpies swoop, and how do they pick their targets? Mm-hmm. Um, what started as a modest school project went viral and received tens of thousands of responses, while some of the surveys. Associated questions might not have uh, be what you, an experienced scientist, would have asked. Um, Emma Glenfield, and she's from the Blue Mountains, mm. um, may have produced some significant advances in understanding the issue. So basically, um, I was impressed because the idea was uh, she wondered if there was a particular configuration. Yep. Like, uh, was magpie swooping particular people? Yep. And in the main, uh, bald guys were mm-hmm. copying it a lot worse than your yep. average population. Well, I think she noticed that um, it was the males who were getting more targeted than females mm. and more adults than, than children. Now, that's not to say that children weren't getting swooped or, swooped or that that kids weren't fearful of swooping because their parents or teachers had been swooped. Mm. Swooped. Is swooped correct? Or swooped, I think, is correct. Because yeah, okay. there's no uh, past tense of swoop that's... Uh, not, not sweep? Like sweep or swept or... <laughs> I don't know. Swap. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're aerospace engineers. Um, yeah. No, I think swooped is the correct term. Um, so, but, like, so she asked all these, these questions and, and she got a massive response. She got 31,400 responses. It's uh, amazing stuff. And, and it was so cool because... Uh, she is going to carry that forward with her for the rest of her life to understand that um, you, as a child, you were allowed to ask a question and you could ask the, the world mm-hmm. and the world would respond and you would then be able to do all of the cool mathematical things yep. that... Um, and I loved how she had pl- she did her plots in Lego. Yep. Um, and... Uh, and presented her results that way mm-hmm. on Reddit. So, and honestly, it it, it, it it was such a in a world where it is tempting to think we are getting dumber and dumber, and we are more and more enamoured with um, truth mm-hmm. that has been given to us rather than knowledge that we've yep. worked for. To have someone essentially go, you know what? I have a question mm-hmm. and I can find out an answer if I ask people and I'm going to ask people and I'm going to put my answers together. Yep. And who knew? It actually, she not just – she got her – as she said, she was amazed because she got a prize in New South Wales. She just put it in because it's like, yep. well, why not? And she won. And then she went for the national prize and she won that too. Yep. Um, and if that doesn't bet in her this sort of uh, potential love for – learning through mm-hmm. science you know like these are the stories you want to hear yeah, about but, and and so and the thing is she's got some great people who directed her here so the, the maths teacher basically said sure why not you can do that you can you can ask the questions and mm. you can find out she they she didn't answer the question for her didn't didn't said all right, so that sounds like a reason. Pointed her in the right direction. So, her mother helped her with it, but helped her in the sense of 
um, removed responses that weren't Australian because it, like from Australia because they could have been from non non magpies non Australian magpies that would be more related to crows and stuff rather mm. than uh, magpies are very different so and they said she created a database of work that sorry database of answers that uh magpie researchers have gone we've never got mm. this and so we can use that too yeah so they know that the people who are bald or going bald are more prone to being swooped um people over six foot or mm -hmm. six foot or over are more likely to be swooped um uh what else was it uh, so bald on top um males are more likely to be swooped and I highly encourage people to check out the ABC article or if they can't find it go on to IFL correct science yeah and I, I like the quote I liked is basically that they asked her why um they, they talk about using Excel um where was it and I think she said well yeah, she'd never used Excel, and she basically asked whether that was a, a clothing size. Yes, yes. I <laughs> go, brilliant. I love it. So, But she, that didn't stop her. She presented her yeah. results just like any professional scientist and, would. And I think uh, I think it was the mother who said there was actually some uh, a quality in her putting together the, the, res, the bar chart results with the Lego because it combines the uh, visual with and the, tactile. the tactile. And when you actually have to handle that many pieces of lego you know exactly which had more instances of what because she's actually felt it she actually put it down onto the yes. onto the board so there it had a multi-sensory um a quality to it so the data is in it correct yeah, yeah so um so and that will mean more that'll, that'll be like like writing with a pen mm. it it um retention of that information is is deeper so Taps into more parts of your brain. Yeah, I I, I saw this ago. Oh, this is definitely is something I want. No, to I, I told Jeff about it when I read it in on the A. Sorry, on the ABC website. Yep. And I hack into the ABC website fairly regularly, so I had to like, you know. Yeah. I had to give them props when I <laughs> when they do this sort of stuff. Um, bee vomit. I saw this story and I, I thought of you because I remember you telling me years ago that honey is just bee vomit. It's not. <laughs> It is not bee vomit. Yes, they regurgitate it, but coming in from a different stomach. <laughs> so it's not the same stomach that they, it is a stomach purely for the the housing of water. That doesn't and help it, your argument. It's not a digestive stomach. So it is just a a repository of the nectar that they collect, along with water, that they regurgitate to to feed the. Keep, keep telling yourself that. No, no. So it's not actually vomit. It's not. There's no bile. There's no digestive juices. It doesn't have juices. to have bile for it to be vomit. It, well, it, it all depends on your definition of vomit. So, if it comes from one of your stomachs, it's going to be vomit. <laughs> but it's this is not really a stomach. It has its own. It, it, it's it's. What function does it for? <laughs> it, it, to to store the the nectar, and so only four bees. I read this article. I just, there are only four bees that make honey. Mm -hmm. Um, in the world, um, and so that it's and this is stored in a, a pouch, if you'd like, um, uh, that is purely for the collection and then the delivery of this back at the thing. So there are a, a twenty thousand species of bees in the world, and less than four percent. Sorry, produce only four four percent. Um, so yes, but it's not vomit. It's not a food stomach. Well, it is a food stomach, but it isn't. I know what you mean. Okay. This is similar to sometimes the the predigest. It, it, it's the equivalent of chewing things up 
and then giving it to a child to then eat because you've chewed it up. Mm. You know, you've, you've achieved or cooking something yeah. to bring out something else in the in the food and and remove the um, indigestible yeah. elements. I mean, there are some foods out there you can't eat. Like we can't eat grass. No. Because we don't have the enzymes mm-hmm. in our stomachs that turn it into fuel. Yeah. Obviously, the bees have a part of themselves that can turn that nectar into the quality, like the item of honey. Yep. So the purposes, but I mean, it's essentially it's 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 readily digestible food. Correct. Yeah. Highly sugary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 80%, 80% sugar. Eighty percent sugar, fifteen um, percent water, and with some mild, um, which makes sense for a you know larval form to go. Well, I need something to fuel my my growth and my metamorphosis. Correct. Um, so honey, it is. Honey, it is. Um, that it talks about. So it mentions the difference between honey and royal jelly because mm-hmm. that's the other thing they produce, but they don't actually produce royal jelly from the nectar. It comes from a, a, a gland excretion. <laughs> So much, <laughs> so, but I think look, people, a lot of people, are allergic to royal jelly. So, well, again, um, it's funny actually. Uh, Jeff gave me for my birthday a book called "How to Invent Everything." Uh huh. Basically, if society collapsed or you found yourself in a time machine back in whenever, um, you can skip many of the you know long periods of human history where nothing happened yep. and get yourself back to a pretty advanced civilization too sweet yep. and um, it talks about how to eat any food mm-hmm. like say you're stuck in a time zone you don't understand what you, you there's no uh, supermarket nearby that you can go and buy food that's mm-hmm. already been pre-checked for you um, how do you uh, learn what food you can eat and there's this 17-hour process that starts with essentially you rubbing it on your... Well, first of all, you have a look at it. You sniff it. If it smells like something rotten, chances are it's toxic to you. Right. Um, and then uh, assuming it doesn't smell rotten, uh, you can then rub it on your, your skin and you can see, all right, does my skin react to that? And that takes about 15 minutes. And then you can kind of like daub it near your mouth. And yep. then again, wait 15 minutes. And then you take these different steps. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you put it in your mouth, but you don't swallow it. Then you might chew it for a little bit, but again, you don't swallow yep. it. Or you just swallow the bit that you've chewed and you just leave it. Yep. And it's like eight hours later, has something so bad happened to if, you? If, it's, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen in a small way that your body is more likely to... To be able to, to handle, tell you yeah. this isn't good, but yeah, yeah so, not kill you. Yeah, there you go, survival. So yeah, and you, if you're prepared to work your way through it, and you just mark, you know, all right, I lived. <laughs> and <the thing laughs> that is, is now food. <laughs> if, if the choice is between life and death, you'll you'll work your way through it. So, so it is a way of actually. Um, it's slow. It's tedious, mm-hmm. but it does work. Yep. And you can do it for pretty much any food if you were worried you might react to something. Yep. Okay. So cool. All right, on that note, we probably should wrap it up. It's 12 o'clock. Cool. We said we we're going to wrap it up. We've got a song queued up. So, uh, Andrew, big thank you. No, thank you. Good to see you. Uh, as to everyone who's listening to the podcast in the future or live now, there will be no show next week. I'll put out an announcement closer to time, but uh, neither Andrew nor I will be, will be celebrating in the studio. No, 
Correct. Um, so happy Australia Day for all those people out there who celebrate enjoy a day off. For those people who just want to enjoy a day off, enjoy the day off. Yep. With or without barbecue. Yep. Um, for those people who the day is somewhat triggering, mm-hmm. I hope you can get through it with the minimum of distress. Yep. And for everyone else, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Two weeks' time. Uh, episode 349 of his network surgery. In the can. In the can. Good night. Good night. 30 seconds. Ignition sequence start. Here we got a roll program. It's not rocket surgery. The latest in science, technology, and geek culture. Astronauts report it feels good. Sunday nights from 10.30. Broadcast and streaming live. Podcast at all the usual podcast places. Follow and like us on Facebook and on Twitter at RCKGSRGRY. Uh, here's the way Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. The eagle has landed. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.